Welcome to the official Brandon Ritchie Substack podcast. This podcast, of course, you guys are familiar, is a map, serves as a map for helping you to be a zenith during chaotic times. I want you at your pinnacle, at your peak, and all the guests that I have on this show are also in that same arena. They fall in line with that, and that's the whole point of this of this show, and we want you guys to understand that. Today, I want to talk to you about an interesting gentleman that I've known for quite some time. Uh, this guy is a, is a tremendous athlete, a lifelong athlete. Uh, in fact, he's a 22-year pro golfer, a five-time champion trick shot artist, and he's also a custom flag manufacturer right here in the great state of Georgia. I met uh, this gentleman several years ago at a charity golf tournament for the first time and got to see what he was capable of up close and personal. And uh, he's done this for athletes and celebrities all over the U.S. I may be out of the uh, outside the U.S., I'm not sure, but I'll let him clarify that for you. But today... Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome to you my good friend Rocky Shipes, and I'm going to have Rocky kind of just tell you a little bit about his background and and what he does. And uh, Rocky, we're welcome. Uh, we're glad to have you here on the show. How are you doing, man? Man, I'm doing great. When you asked me the other day, I told you my first response was, "What took you so long?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was dragging my feet. I I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I get it. Uh, so yeah, man, I I, I had uh, been seeing your stuff on Facebook, and uh, to you know, as, as I introduced to the audience here, I know that you're you you know I'm very familiar with your athletic background and your golf background, but boy, I love those flags, man. Those flags you make are just amazing. They're, they're amazing. Um, they're 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 special. They become very special to me because I it's not just a job. I don't get tired of doing it. Um, the flags were kind of born out of the whole scamdemic era. When COVID first hit, it knocked my golf out completely overnight. And um, everybody else went to play in golf, but they weren't allowed to gather and stuff. So there went golf outings, there, there went charity events and all that. So my golf world literally got shut down in 24 to 48 hours. Um, wow. My phone was like a pinball machine just constant messages say out and canceled out and canceled out and canceled this event canceled but then they even canceled the tour and stuff so there was no qualifiers to go to there were no mini tours i literally had zero golf to do that week when they instituted the lockdowns and so um i built this flag for uh, a, a, a pretty popular man i don't know if you remember george brian foods from brian hot dogs brian oh yeah pork and beans and all that yeah um he owns two very high-end well-known golf courses over in mississippi and I, I he wanted a flag for this new clubhouse they were building so i built my first flag and um and then when i was done i couldn't get a hold of george and he never picked it up or anything else so I put the flag on Facebook and said, hey, I'm going to auction this off. you got 24 hours to bid on it. All the money being raised is going to go to uh, PTSD counseling for retired firefighters because I am a retired firefighter. Um, and, um, and my whole goal was if we were to raise $500 in 24 hours, that would be great because the Birdwell Foundation would have gone crazy, right? Right. Well... I had to cancel the uh, <laughs> I had to cancel the auction after three hours because it was up to five thousand. Wow! And and then what happened after that is every single person that was seeing this post and looking like and people that were bidding and everything, what it happened the very next day on is everybody wanted a flag and it literally became a full time business in twenty four forty eight hours. And man, uh, that's phenomenal. And as you and I, we had been talking earlier, people ask me all the time. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm known as an athlete and things like that, but people don't realize I grew up in an environment of furniture makers and stuff like that. And I've always been around hand tools, always been a carpenter. And so people don't see that side of me, but people keep saying, hey, well, could you do this for me? Could you do this for me? Yeah, I can, but I don't. I build flags. And yeah. I don't know, I've stuck to my guns on that because I love doing these flags um, obviously, you know, you, I'm sure people can read between the lines. There's a couple of flags I've been asked to build and I just said, no, it's not an American flag. I ain't doing it. Uh, I've actually been asked to do even some other foreign country flags. And I said, no, I build American flags. And so that's proof that I'm not just trying to take advantage of a financial, 
um, windfall based on the climate of the United States and patriotism right now because I'm convicted that the only thing I'm going to build is American flags. The only other flag I built other than an American flag is um, I'll build this certain type of flag that's not an American flag for people's businesses and things like that. Um, but I, I won't do foreign countries. I won't do an LGBTQ flag. I won't do any of that. Um, right, right. It's a, you're not... And I see there's also variations of, of the American flag, the Betsy Ross or the yeah, 13 stars absolutely. and the 1776. I see one of those over your shoulder there. It looks really good. Yeah, that's the We the People burn into it with uh, the 1776. And uh, that's really become, um, it's interesting you pick up on that because that's probably become the biggest seller because I think the flag with We the People on it, mm-hmm. it it's hitting where people are at right now. It, it's that flag represents us right now more than the true American flag with 50 states. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause everybody's got that. We, the people mentality. And, uh, I do have a t-shirt coming out that, um, every time somebody buys one of those, they'll get a free t-shirt. And the t-shirt says we, the people versus the sheeple. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Hey, I like it. I, you know, that's the thing. I think, you know, the founders and all, you know, if you go back, it's, it, it's, the whole point of the flag is that it's it's about unity. It's not the divided states of America. It's the United States of America. You know. Well, they're they're also using it to divide us, and I think that's just wrong. They're so they're per, they pervert history to do that too. Exactly, just like everything else they're doing, but especially with the flag. And you know, a lot of people get on. I've had people smart off to me and say things like, you know, it's just a flag, dude. I'm like, no, it's not. It's my symbol of freedom. It represents the country I live in. It's very important to me. But you see, my flag, uh, my affection for our flag goes way beyond this. That, like, when I was a firefighter, um, I was in charge of, uh, at my station and even in rookie school, um, of teaching the the guys how to take down the flag, how to put the flag up and all this. Um, I think one of the greatest things I've ever been to in my life is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. You know, how they fold the flag and standing, you know, and what the 13 folds of the flag when you're folding a flag properly is where the stars are supposed to be aligned when you fold a flag. It's very picky to me. Um, And I'll tell you, I I want to comment on that, too, about your your fire, if you don't mind, because I remember you posting something a while back about your time in the at the fire department when you were a fireman. And I didn't know that about you. I didn't know that you were a fire. Where were you stationed? And how long did you do that? Can you touch on that a little uh, bit? Yeah, I was in. Uh, I was. I was Gwinnett County Fireman. Okay. And, um, what was funny is I. I was a. <laughs> after my initial years of, of playing some pro sports and everything, I became a pastor, and I was a youth pastor and never wanted to be a, demoted to senior pastor. And um, and everybody used to always say, "Well, what are you going to do when you get out of youth ministry?" I said, "I'm going to be a firefighter." And Sure enough, as soon as I resigned from my last church, um, I went and applied for the fire department in Gwinnett. And that particular year, 18,000 people put applications in and they hired 27. And I was one of them. And uh, loved the fire department. Um, I was pretty much uh, spent most of my career at the corner of Jimmy Carter in 85. So you kind of know the makeup of that community. And uh, that was pretty rough. I mean, you know, people... A lot of people, you know, they think firemen are just sitting around the, the station eating ice cream and everything. Well, you got to sit around somewhere until somebody calls 911. See, they don't look at it that way. We have to be ready. Um, but what people don't understand is that even in Gwinnett, Gwinnett was the ninth busiest fire department in the nation. Now, when you take L.A., New York, Miami, Chicago, cities like that out of the picture, does yeah. that tell you how high up the Gwinnett County ranked? Um I mean, we averaged anywhere from 14 to 25 calls a day. Wow. And you have to figure every time you pull out of the fire station, um, if you pull out of the fire station, you're making your way to a call, the call gets canceled and you come back, that took 15 minutes right there. So now if you take into account that you're running 15 to 25 calls a day where you leave the station and you're gone for 30, 45 minutes, and that's just if it's a medical call, a car wreck, or something like that. That's not counting if it's a fire where you're going to be there for hours, right? Right. And you come back to the station, that means just about every time you pull back in the station, you're getting rung out to another one. I mean, people think we're sitting around the station eating, and that they don't realize is, do you know how many times a week our food got left on the stove and we never got to eat it? You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, 
it's it's a different lifestyle. Um, you know, yeah, there's some departments and stations in small towns. They don't do a whole lot, but you know what? You better be glad they're, they're there when you do need them. Oh yeah, what year? What year was that when you were with the fire department roundabout? Uh, I started in '99, and then went into the 2010s. Oh um, wow! So you, you may went through the whole 9/11 era. I was on duty on 9/11, and um, was one of the guys that tried to go to uh, New York and, and help out. And they were quickly sending messages to all the major departments saying, "Keep your guys at home. We're inundated up here. Too many people will be too many." And um, yeah, I was on duty that day. Uh, interesting um, sidebar to that is uh, when I got to church that first Sunday after 9-11, um, my, my ex-wife now, but my wife at the time, the mother of my children, we're, we're sitting there in church and we just broke down bawling. I mean, mm. sobbing, crying. Yeah. The church service stops and everybody comes and surrounds us and everybody's saying things like, you know, Rocky, they're going to find all the firefighters. You know, they thought we were sobbing because of the firefighter aspect, right? Right. And I stopped everybody and I said, no, y'all don't understand. She was supposed to be in the North Tower for a meeting at nine o'clock and the meeting got canceled. Oh, wow. My ex-wife was supposed to be in the tower when, it, when the first one went down. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, Man. but then you take the firefighter side to it. You know, I lost 343 brothers that day. And, oh um, my gosh! That that number. When I look at my phone and I see the number at the time is three forty three. What do you think I think of? When yeah. I, yeah. When I see a golf hole that's three hundred and forty three yards, what do you think I think of? I mean, that's yeah. that number was etched in my brain the rest of my life. I can't even look at my clock without that's, thinking three forty three. That's tough, and to make it harder, I even heard, if I, and I'm pretty sure I, this is correct, that the uh, the nine eleven memorial now has they've had to close the doors because of funding. They, they're not right. making enough money. Right. Well, the city of New York's <laughs> been gutted out, and you have this this incredible, you know, remembrance monument for all of those brave people, and for that, and, and they can't even keep it up. That that just speaks the volumes of, of of you know where we are. I think as a country, and uh, it's a perfect example of where we're at right now, and the very things that I know are on yours and mine's mind. You know, and that's why we're here today doing this podcast. Um, one, the gutting out of a city like that, a, a particularly liberal city, if you will. But there's also, you know, even just before all this craziness in the last two years, people like me would tell people all the time, you forgot 9-11. Because 9-11 brought us together. It made America strong. And it lasted longer than I thought it would. Yeah. But then I, I watched it, you know, just kind of dwindle. And what that did is when everything started to dwindle, the patriotism and the pride and everything else is what they did is that opened the door for all this other craziness that's been coming in since late 2019. Because if you think about it, when we were all still, you know, like we said in the earlier, united we stand, when we were all united and when we were all proud of to be an American and everything else, it would have been very hard to institute a lot of this stuff that's happened the last two years. So they had to wait Correct. for us to you know, to, to chill out, so to speak, you know, and yeah. back off of our convictions and our patriotism before they can implement any of this stuff. Uh, and I always and say, I always say too, that Marxism is a drip. It's a drip. Yes. yes it it yes. drips into society and seeds in. And yeah. then, and then when things are quiet, Marxism is behind the scenes kind of growing through the institutions. And then it reaches a point of critical mass, I think, which is what we're seeing now. And then you, and then people see how awful it is, and then you get the kickback like the frog in boiling water. So right, I right. think I think in a way I've always use the frog. Yeah, the frog in boiling. Yeah, yeah. But I think we're seeing a lot of this. Uh, we're seeing an amazing realignment in this country of people just awakening to this on all sides, not just Republican versus Democrat or liberal versus conservative. I think it's it's really it's across party lines. And it's just, I think, people that view this whole globalist authoritarian agenda versus just people wanting individual sovereignty and national sovereignty, you know? Right, right. Um, I think we're, I think to your point, I think we're, you know, we are somewhat getting united. It's coming around because people are seeing the alternative is not, it's not American at all, you know? No, you said something a second ago when you started that about the, you know, it's kind of an awakening and everything. And you said that people are coming around. 
um, you and I didn't discuss this earlier, but I truly believe that and was really thinking hard on this just yesterday. And that is, while I may be angry, the angry American at a lot of things that are happening, while I may be the, the pride American, and while I may be a lot of things, the, the reality is, is I'm hopeful. And it's not just because I'm positive or because I'm optimistic or anything. It's that this right here that I hope a lot of people listening and, and I hope that we can get this out, what you just said and what I'm adding to it now, out to people. Even bad times, are there, it's, it's cycle. It, it cycles. Mm-hmm. Things can only get so bad before people wake up. And people don't understand that's where the word revolution is created from is you've got to come full circle. This, is, this part of life is not linear. We're not just going to keep going downhill because we live in a world, not just in America, but in a world where people are only going to take so much. You know, the, mm-hmm. the first two or three things, like, okay, yeah, whatever. Then the next two or three things come along, you're like, hold on now, that's affecting me. Then two or three things more come along, and people are like, okay, I'm done with this crap, you know, and, it's mm-hmm. time to, to change the cycle. And then when you start to change the cycle is where you get revolution because people don't understand revolution doesn't mean change. It means coming up back full circle to where you were. And we're going to do that because if you stop and look, I mean, we can go all the way back to our founding fathers. We've had many revolutions. Just yeah. this one happens to be on stupid stuff, <laughs> in yeah. my opinion. But we've always come full circle back to our roots and back to our convictions. And, you know, you've, you've already heard me use that word conviction a couple of times and it'll be used several times. Well, no, times it's a, it's a true thing. That's a true statement. I think people, what's happening is that, um, you know, when people tell you who they are, I think you got to believe them yeah. a lot of the times. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are saying who they are. People just aren't listening. Right. Exactly. In, in epic proportions compared to any other time. And to get somebody to listen to truth, okay, let's be more specific. To get somebody to listen to truth is so hard nowadays. People don't want to hear truth. Yeah. They want to hear something that tickles their ears. They want to hear something that, that fits their agenda or their mindset or fits their own personal life in their own tiny little bubble. And that's where we start making all these choices that start taking us sideways and down paths that we don't need to go down. Um, but people don't want to hear truth. Why do we, why, why do we see it on social media? You know, they, they block truth and you call right. it fact checking, but the reality is, is all they're doing is trying to block truth. They don't want the truth to be out there because the truth is, is they'd be gone if we let the truth out. Yeah. And yeah. I think, uh, I think that's the thing. That's why I think people on the left, the far left, I should say, the more extreme left, they, they view this, they, they don't like dissent. And I always tell people there's a big difference between, uh, and I consider myself for all intents and purposes more of a libertarian. I have a populist lean. I'm not a. I'm not loyal to a party, right? Right. But right. Uh, but I have in terms of the political landscape. But I have people, you know, like people on the far left. They don't like dissent. There is a difference. I tell people don't confuse a liberal with a leftist. A liberal, we may disagree on some stuff. But a liberal does believe in free speech, and they will fight for it. A right. leftist does not. Uh, no. They want to shut down dissent because of what you say. They they can't defend their argument. They won't have one. Right. They don't have one. It's just, it doesn't. I always, what I always say is they want to hear their opinion come out of your mouth. Correct. Correct. That's all they want to hear. That's all they want to hear. And, and they know it's not true. That's the key. They know it's not true but it's what they want you and I both to agree on and so that they can get an agenda passed. And, you know, you and I, we, we talked, you know, before we started this and, and, you know, my background, there's a, there's a pastor since in there and I'm not going to turn the podcast into one of those, but I, I, I used to tell people all the time, especially when I'd be talking to teenagers, I'm like, you, cause when you talk about a scent, I used to always say, you know, we are to be an aroma, you know, because it says, you know, in the Bible, we're to be a aroma of Christ. Well, an aroma is you're going to smell like wherever you've been hanging out. You know, gotcha. I, mean, I got gotcha. you. You hang out in a bowling alley in the eighties. What are you going to smell like? You're going to smell like Marlboro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you go to the gym, you're going to smell like a, a sweaty towel. If you go to this, you're going to smell like that. And there are this, and I used to tell people all the time that, you know, it's also beyond smell, it's taste. And I used to, I tell people all the time, sugar and salt look just alike. 
but go ahead, take a taste of each one and see which one you like. Right. You know what I mean? Very different. And, and, um, and, and that's where truth comes in is, is we, you, we can't compromise on truth. You said that, you know, you, 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 you lean towards the libertarians and the populists and all that. But for me, I'm a truth seeker. Yeah. And, and that's why I kind of don't budge on a lot of things. You know, I, I come across with this, you know, outgoing personality and all that. But then once somebody gets down in the trenches with me, they realize, oh, crap, this guy really doesn't bend much. And that's why, because I focus on truth. Yeah. And once you know truth, you can't compromise. Correct. You can't compromise. Correct. Once you know the truth, you have to act on it. Or what are you going to do? Correct. You know? And that, there's a there's a there's a thing called you ever heard of that term uh, limit, limiting beliefs that people yes. so yes. you know they have limiting some people have limiting beliefs where they're afraid of uh, success so they put up a wall yeah. and they say I can't do what so and so does so that it's a limiting belief so right. uh, another limiting belief is facing reality or truth right. if it's hard to, or difficult to face they'll put up that limiting belief wall to insulate mm-hmm. them from that from that that the conflict of having to absorb that truth cause what would it, it would do is then by in turn it would call into question other subsequent beliefs they have in terms of their worldview and what they've been what they have believed their whole lives, which is a hard pill to swallow. Right, right. You know? And so, a lot of people won't swallow that one nowadays. Correct. You know, based on what they were brought up on. Um don't know if you'll edit this or not, but before we got on the air, you know, you and I were talking, and I told you about what kind of president I wanted six, seven years ago. Yeah, no, go ahead. I, no, this okay. is fine. This is good. I mean, this is fine. All, all I used to say is when we were coming out of several, you know, so to speak, Democratic presidencies, I just said simply, I want America back. I want the America I know. I want the 9-11 America back. I want a president with a pair of balls. Yeah, that, that's exactly. All and <laughs> and this was long before he announced he was running. So while I may not be a Trumper, the reality is, is while I'm driving down the road one day, I get it. I hear something on the news that Donald Trump's going to run for president. And I literally my head just about exploded because I said, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. And the reason is, is because we have to have that kind of America in order for truth to work. Well, because and you're seeing platforms see, are based on lies. Yeah, and on the on the political arena, you're seeing these uh, these uh, fighters come up now, like Carrie Lake out in Arizona, and and right. you know running for governor. She's a she's yep. a fire breather, and uh, uh, Ron DeSantis down in Florida. You know, <laughs> I mean, you, which I do not want Ron to run for president. At least not yet. I don't want him to at all. No. Okay. All right. I'm trying to move to Florida, and I don't want to lose him. I want to oh, I got you. I, <laughs> I got you. I have friends in Florida, and I'm like, guys, can we trade governors? You know, can I have? <laughs> no, I tell people all the time, I don't want DeSantis to run because I'm trying to move to Florida. <laughs> I want him to still be there when I get there. No, I think he'd be a great one because he is a fighter. Um, and you know what? Here in Georgia. I mean, on some fronts, I believe that there's a lot of people that, that have misunderstood Kemp and don't like Kemp. Um, but Kemp's really just another DeSantis. I mean, Florida and Georgia are the two states that took a stand in the beginning of the whole scandemic and yeah. said, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that. I know a lot of this rift between Kemp and Trump. Um, you know, people have a tendency to think that they know everything because of what they heard on whatever news outlet they'd listen to, mm-hmm. Okay. The reality is, is people, we live in a world with it where all of the alphabet agencies, they, they know 90% of what we don't know yet. We're only getting a small tip of the iceberg. You know, there's so much going on behind the scenes and under the surface. Um, and that's exactly what happened with this whole Trump-Kemp thing. And um, when, I, when I finally heard the whole story, because I've done three flags for Kemp, they're all in his campaign headquarters. And when I finally heard the whole story, I'm like, look, it's... You know, I, I hate it that two good ones are pitted against each other, but the reality is, is he is a fighter, and he does believe in Georgia, and he does believe in small business. He believes in truth and, and everything. So it, it's a tough call for me, but I do know this. He's a good man. He will fight for us. Um, he fought for us during the craziest two-year span of you know our lifetime. 
Um, but DeSantis, man, I, I tell you, if people have never looked at it, you got to go look at DeSantis' whole resume. This dude's impressive. Yeah, I don't think I've ever well, seen an impressive man as impressive as his. I had, never knew all that stuff about him until I read it. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think I think part of this is where people are trying to figure out when, on the election landscape. Um, I think a lot of people, and right, you know, look, rightfully so, I, um, I think there's a lot of questions involved with election security, um, mm-hmm. election integrity, um, yep. If you want to call it election insecurity, there's there, there's a lot of that that has been uh, found, and a lot of that that continues to roll out more and, and more and more. About it. And so I think I think that's where people have, uh, you know, get a little bit contentious when it comes to certain politicians, regardless of party, because this has happened right. on both sides of the aisle here. There's yeah, been uh, election insecurity for Democrats. There's been election insecurity for Republicans. So uh, this is something that's a, a real issue. I'm just the guy that says, look, I think we should just all do the French model and go back to paper ballots and be done by 10 p.m., get the community involved, do it right. by paper, get it done, get it out of the way, and we get results by 10 p.m. But see, everybody's going to fight you on that because they're going to say, but I can't get out the vote. Well, you know what? Welcome to the age of participation trophies. Everybody thinks they're going to be allowed to do anything at all times. Right. You know, right. It's, an, it's an entitlement mindset that came from participation trophy era of, but, but what about me? Well, I'm sorry. If you, if you can't make it to work at eight, you're going to get fired. So don't tell me you can't get out and vote by a certain time. Correct. And, you know, one of the ones that was always pertinent to me that nobody ever took real serious was like, okay, you'll sit in line for five hours in frigid below freezing temperatures to let somebody stick a stick up your nose to see if you have something that you're not even showing (laughs) symptoms for, but you want to complain that you're going to have to stand in line for one hour to vote for the leader of the free world. Yeah. Yeah. That don't fly with me. Yeah. It's a, it's part of this is right there. It's a cultural thing too. It's a cultural (laughs) thing, but I'll tell you, speaking of which, tell us a little bit about your, in terms of your background in your in the athletics, the sport background that you have in terms of golf, your your history there, and also touch on, um, have you seen culturally that that when you mentioned participation trophy, have you seen this cultural decay in the sport, how it's impacted the sports arena as well in terms of competition, sports, the whole culture that enshrines the sports community, athletic community. Um, I can, and and if you'll give me the time, I'd like to share two or three things about that. Okay, so I played four college sports, uh, played off and on, you know, quick quick flashes in the pan, some pro sports myself, but I've also been doing the pro golf for 22 years, but I'm an athlete. I love sports. I, I ran away from home at 15 to go play for a high school that recruited me across the country, and um it's, uh, I mean, sports has been my life. I have two sons who played D1 basketball, and I got a daughter that uh, is uh, still playing D1 volleyball and, and definitely probably going pro. Um, oh, wow. So we are, we are a sports family. I love my sports, but I'm not going to lie. I stopped wor- watching a couple of the sports before the COVID uh, stuff, and I've pretty much stopped watching all sports since then. Um, Leave the politics out of it. I right. mean, come on. The, the, the average athlete doesn't know two things going on in politics anyway, so just stay out of it. You don't know what you're doing. So leave the politics out of it. I it, Some people may not like hearing this, but I don't want to watch a basketball game with Black Lives Matter in letters three feet tall going across the length of the floor. I don't want to watch that. Right. It's not, it has nothing to do with the BLM or my views on that or anything else. It just means I came to watch basketball. Basketball has gotten soft. My main sport was basketball, so my priority is, like, basketball is the first one out the window with me. Hmm. Um, the whole kneeling thing in football, then it, you know, transferred over to other sports. Um, the How about the athletes this year, even in baseball, that refused to wear the uh, LGBTQ hats during Pride Month that the teams, the league was forcing them to wear? And I already told you that I have conviction and I used to be a pastor. Well, there were several players that band together and said, because of my religious beliefs, I'm not wearing that hat. 
and right. they didn't, and they got and they got punished for it. Well, like See, look at what they good. look at what they did. To, what's the tennis player Nokovic? Nokovic. Oh, oh, well, I'll get to that one. Yeah, um, but to, to punish them. Okay, you brought the politics and, and social issues into the sports where it doesn't belong. Right. And then now, because even just a handful of people don't go along with the agenda, because that's all it is, you're going to punish them for it? Right. See, we're punishing good people nowadays, and that doesn't fly with me. That I ain't going to sit here and joke around. That one gets me angry when good people get punished for doing good things. But that's where we are right now as a country and a society that the good people are, are the ones who continuously, repeatedly, over and over, get punished and left out. And, and, Absolutely. And, and evil, evil is being rewarded. And Absolutely. You can call it whatever you want. I call it, it evil. And it's, it's, it's they're just, they're just saying. They say that they want to, if you believe in the freedom of choosing, but when you don't choose what they don't like, what they won't. They want to punish, and that's the thing. You're not allowed. You don't really believe in cho- freedom of choice in that manner. And it's like, you know, like you're, you're, there were several. You're getting me fired up now. Somebody's going to get a knuckle sandwich or a throat punch. <laughs> I'm glad, hey, I'm glad I'm on the other side of the computer here. <laughs> that, see, we're now hitting the, the very tip top of the spectrum for me when I keep using the word conviction. And it really does just fire me up when somebody is punished for doing good. And, you know, and I come from a background where it says that there will be a day when evil will be called good and good will be called evil. And we are in that day because all you got to do is follow what's going on on social media, the news, anywhere else. And for people to take a stand against something they don't believe in and get punished for it, but yet to force that same thing down my throat, your throat, and everybody else's throat, it's just wrong. And I don't like it. The Novit, the, the, uh, uh, Jokic thing. Nokovic. Yeah, I can't pronounce his name. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He can't cross over into the country and play in tennis matches two years after this whole thing's just about gone, right? Yeah, yeah. But how many are we letting across the border without a test? I know, I know. And it, I, No, that doesn't fly with me. And you know, that he... Does not fly. But you know what? Kudos to him because he's not even an American, but he took a stand. Oh, it's, said, it's, no, a, it's admirable. It, me. That's conviction. That's conviction. And he has not caved, has he? Not a bit. Not one not inch. Not a bit. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I am now, too. I mean, I'm a exactly. huge... I mean, I, I think the guys... Uh, I didn't even really care for tennis. And then when I saw this guy, I thought to myself, that's a maverick. He's not going to let up one inch. I heard exactly. him in an interview say that the, the interview... The interviewer was asking him about it, and, and, and he says, why? And he says, why, why wouldn't I? He goes, why are you so willing to, you know, just go along with whatever people tells you? Do you not have certain, certain things that you will just draw the line and, and stop and, right. and, 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 and not allow someone to force you into something? Exactly. He goes, I don't, that's coercion, you know? Yeah. That, that's, that's not freedom. And bullying, it's coercion, it's manipulation. You know, I, I read a quote a while back that I wish more people would, would start to take and use as like their barometer or their dips, the, not dipstick, but litmus test to um, gauge how they feel about things. We know what manipulation is, right? Oh, yeah. But this, this quote was so simple but so profound to me is that confusion is a form of manipulation because you got to confuse people before you can manipulate them. And in the quicker we learn to understand that's how manipulation handles, maybe we can reject manipulation more often. Um, but, you know, here we are talking about the sports. The thing you asked me about, okay, tennis has come up because of him and his conviction. Um, I brought up baseball players with LGBTQ. I talked about uh, the BLM thing being on the basketball court and all that. And look, that's three different areas. One's COVID, one's BLM, and one's LGBTQ, right? Right. Now it goes even further. How about this? Yes, people can stop listening right now if they want to, but I'm a Cowboys fan. The Cowboys <laughs> wanted to put the names of all the fallen officers that were, that were shot execution style in Dallas on the backs of their helmets, and the league made them remove them before they could go on the field that day. Whoa. But then what did the NFL do from that week on? They were putting the criminals on the backs of everybody's helmets. Man, it's just, 
It's is insane. that backward? It's insane. Yeah. missing something here? They're just we're they're putting just... the convicted felons on the backs of the helmets, but we're not allowed to put cops who were shot execution style on the back of a helmet. No, that for that reason, football was out with me. Okay, now let's let's, let's take it even further, and I hope this is a, a story that you can leave in in the podcast and share. Sure. A a college coach in in in, in the SEC. When the COVID thing hit and then the George Floyd and all that, the, the NCAA came up with the unity patch that's shaped like a heart and it's a white hand and a black hand shaking. Okay. 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 Um, that's great. No problem. But then when my daughter finally had a volleyball game, I went to, and it was during the, the whole, you know, scamdemic stuff. She was told to turn and kneel to the other team and hold her hands up like in a praying manner and bow to them. And I was like, no, 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 no. How are you? It took, it took my sons, my ex, everybody, everything they could to keep me from going down there. I was so mad. Oh, I was furious. So let's flash forward a couple of years from that situation. Right. Right. I'm, I'm talking uh, to this coach and of course, there's a reason I haven't used my daughter's name, the university's name, or anything because I don't want this to blow up. But I went to this coach two years later when the career is over, and I said, "You know, you're the only team still wearing the patch. All the other teams aren't anymore." Gotcha. And and I said, "I have a problem with that." When she came to this team. There was uh, nine white girls, six black girls on the team. Since you took over this team, there have been no black girls on the team, and you haven't even recruited one. So I don't want to hear your hypocrisy about the patch and BLM. See, that's me proving I'm not against BLM or racial issues or racial equality. I'm against hypocrisy. Yes, and it's not... You're the- and the, you're the, the one we, pushing this agenda the most, and yet you're the only one in the entire conference not following up on right. it. Right, and I know the community people that that have a, a rational mind, and, and I, your friends and mine, they understand this. They know they know the dif- difference between BLM, the organization, and 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 just understanding that Black lives do matter. <laughs> right. You know, we of course they do uh, more. Of course, you know that's the thing, but. The organization is like an or we live in that or in the Orwellian times. You know, I, I was. Have you read? You remember nineteen eighty four or Orwell's not? Did you ever read that? Growing, it's, <laughs> look, I had to because that was my senior year in high school. I, were you born yet? I'm, I don't know. I don't, when what? When did you finish? When did you graduate high school? I don't know. We can explore this. Eighty four. So I had to read that book. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I was. So yeah, I, I read it a long time ago. But you remember in the in the state, the state says two two plus two equals five. So a state representative asked the the criminal, the thought criminal, right? The thought criminal, what's two plus two? And the guy says four, and he says no. Two plus two equals five. What is two plus two? And the guy says, it's four. And he goes, the state says two plus two equals five. Therefore, you need re-education. Jeez. That's what we're living in. That's what we're living in. That's what we're living in. But it has transcended more than education. It's transcended lifestyle, everything else. Yeah, but they redefine words, words, the destruction of words, as they say. But yeah, so that so you know you touched on the the cultural decay in sports like, and you mentioned participation trophies. Well, don't I, get me started, bro. I had another, <laughs> you know, Kelly Leo. I had Kelly Leo on the show back uh, uh, a couple of weeks back, two or three weeks ago. Did a podcast with him, and he brought up this participation trophy, um, and 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 that started seeping into the com- competitive arena of sports. You know, I I remember when that started happening and I remember where, you know, parents just wouldn't just tell their kids, just be honest with them, you know, and that that it's a lack of honesty. Your kids. Oh, it's a lie. You're lying to your own kids. 
Right. And I think... Can I give you... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I know this is part of the issue, but what do you think right now, as this has seeped in, and this Orwellian, this kind of, these lies, the dishonesty, how do we, how do we remedy this in the culture of sports, therefore, by extension, in the culture of life? How do we remedy that? What, do you have ideas on how we can well, culturally shift that? To remedy you know, if we're going to use that word to remedy it, we'd go back to something I said earlier where everything requires a revolution. We have to come full circle back to where we started, and that's the path we're on, okay? So the answer to your question may not be the one you expect or, or makes sense, but to for my in my head, what that means is we got to come full circle back around to let kids know that, look, if you want to be good at something, you're going to have to succeed at something. And if you want to succeed at something, you're going to have to practice. You're going to have to put the hours in. We're going to teach them the life skills that aren't being taught anymore, that you are going to be rewarded for hard work. You're going to be rewarded for good hard work. And we don't do that anymore. That was what participation trophies ushered in. It ushered in that, hey, no matter what you do, you're going to be rewarded for this. You're going to be equal with the kid over here who is a freaking stud freak athlete, okay? Now, I'm not going to lie. My kids were on that, that end of that spectrum. They were freaks. My sons are 6'9", six, 6'7", six, my daughter's 6'5". Wow, and they have they have played at a high level since the the day they were born. They never had a clumsy stage, and so there was one time where they said, "Hey, we need you to run this basketball league." And of course, when you coach in a basketball league, obviously you get your son on your team, right? Right. Well, I had two sons in the league, so it was a given that I didn't get a first or a second round draft pick because my two I had two sons on my team. Wow. Okay given then we finished the draft and then they come to me and say hey we can't have both your sons on your team I'm like well why and they say because no other team will have a chance i'm like oh my son should be punished for being tall my son should be punished for practicing at home three hours a day on their dribbling their shooting their posting up their defense and everything else um and let me take this two steps further to prove the whole aspect of it okay Right. In 1982, when I made the Junior Olympics in basketball, which we know now as AAU, Junior Olympics used to be AAU, which is what we have all our travel teams in, right? Right. When I made the AAU team for California um, out of Clovis High, there were 52 teams in the country. There was one team per state. California and Texas each got two teams because the states were so big. We had 52 teams. We all show up in Tempe, Arizona for the Junior Olympics for basketball. You had done something if you made that team. Sure. Because it proves you're one of the best 12 to 14 in your state, right? Sure. So I make that team. We show up in Tempe. Do you realize now there are 482 AAU teams in Metro Atlanta alone? Yeah, it's blown up. It's it's just we're not talking about North Georgia, Metro Atlanta. There are four hundred and eighty-eight, eighty-two AAU basketball teams. Because here's what happened over time with participation trophies: we have an AAU team. They're taking fifteen. You were number sixteen. Number sixteen and his dad they go start a team. They now have six to fifteen players. Number sixteen that didn't make their team. That dad and this player they go. We have kids that are playing on AAU teams that can't make their junior high team. Hmm. So what we're telling you is you're not good enough to make the team at school, which should be your best team, right? Right. But yet you're playing and averaging 15 a game on an AAU team. What are you telling that kid? See, you're not only lying to him, you're confusing him. Because he's over here playing and being told he's a stud. And whenever I would share this philosophy with other dads, they would get mad. Why? Because his team didn't make, his kid didn't make a team. Not one of the first three or four, right? Right. And I would tell these dads, you know what's going to happen? Your son's going to end up against my son's team, and you're going to get beat by 100 points. I'm not lying, dude. Six months later, we're playing AAU. This particular dad that I'm talking one to one day, who was four tiers down now, starting teams and putting his son, his son's team ends up playing against my son's AAU team. We beat him 112 to 10. Wow. Wow. He got beat by a hundred points. I wasn't lying when I told him this. And it's we have, it, 
we have watered it down. But th hear what I said a second ago. Participation trophies didn't just prove that we were lying to the kids. It proved that we were confusing them. And that's why now they have no clue what they're doing. How do I do this? How do I do that? They don't know. I agree. Know and, and you know what? This is the same thing, too. I've argued in the education system as well. You know, I always tell people, you know, like, you know, when you were in school, you had classes and they told, told you, look, you need to take your, you know, your college level courses and then you got to choose a field of study and this is your field. And if you don't, you've got to succeed at this, you know, and, and if you don't succeed at this, you're a failure, basically. Now, it may have not have been termed like that, but that, but that, that sentiment was there. Right. That's the way right. they, that's the way they present it. The sentiment is there. So right. kids think, wait, I've got to follow this path in order to make it, right? Where, right. where the reality is, look, pick, pick, you want to pick a passion, something you love, but it's not, you don't have to necessarily have a specific degree for this specific field to be successful. Right. Success can come in many forms and on many platforms. And right. I think people have tunnel vision. They don't think broadly enough about that in, in terms of that. I think that kind of parallels uh, the sport arena, too, in that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me give you one other example. Um, when, I mean, I'm 56 now, right? And I'm still playing professional golf. I play on some mini tours. I play in all this. Well, I show up. I, I drive all the way over to Mississippi to play in this tournament one time. And I have read already in his rule set that over 50 gets the tee off from the one tee box up, right? Right. So I've already paid entry fee. I've already driven all the way over there. I got a hotel. I got out money, everything. And we get to the first tee. And when he introduced me, I started to walk up to the white tee. And he's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> And I said, over 50 tees off from up there. And I said, I'm not over 50. I'm almost to 60. I'm 55. Uh, no, 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 no. I can't, I can't let you. But why? He goes, well, you hit the ball too far. You're a, you're a plus four handicap. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're, what you're telling me, and think about this, dude. This is how it all gets traced back to participation trophy. Sure. You're telling me that because I've been on the driving range for 22 years, hitting ball after ball after ball, because I've been in the gym doing rep after rep after rep, and because I've stayed in the shape that I'm in at this age, you're going to tell me today I'm going to be punished for practicing to be good at something. Yeah. You're going to level out the field for the guy over here who hasn't been to the driving range in six months. He now gets equated with me and he gets a pass. Right, and, and, and real helpful. quick, real quick, Rocky, tell them how far you can drive a golf ball. Tell the audience how far, because <laughs> I know, I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. Well, Go uh, that day that I had you lay down on the ground with a jock strap on and you were shaking in your boots. <laughs> yeah, tell, okay, tell them that, and then let's tell them how far you can drive, because this one. That ball, that ball that I hit off the jock strap on you went over 320. It's okay, guys, for everyone listening, so this is what happens, okay? I show up at Reunion Golf Course. It's a charity tournament. I meet Rocky for the first time. We hit it off. We're like, you know, we hit it off. We're like kindred spirits, friends, joking all the way out to the course. He's got a line of people out there. I don't know. There's probably 50, 60, 80 people out there. He puts this stupid golf strap thing, this, you know, jock strap on me, and it's got a T right where the cup would be. And I have to lie on the ground, and he puts a golf ball and tees it off. This is what he does with his trick show, okay? So, so I'm lying there, you know, holding my breath, praying to God that, you know, this thing doesn't go sideways. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, go ahead. And, and so he, but tell them who else uh, you've done that stunt with, because you told me I was amongst royalty. Tell them who else, please, for the audience. It, for me to tell that, that's going to feed into the Fort Scott, Kansas thing two weeks ago, so we can do that part we talked about earlier, okay? Okay. Um, that The jockstrap, when I made this guy wear it in Fort Scott, Kansas two weeks ago, I knew this guy. I mean, the guy's only like, you know, 5'3". He never got to play sports, but the dude's one of the biggest sport nuts I've ever seen, and 
he's got one of the most impressive memorabilia rooms you're ever going to see. Wow. You know, since he couldn't get play sports, he loves sports, and that's where he put all his time and energy. Gotcha. And he loves it. So I appreciate that he's you know spent that much money and done enough things uh, just to meet people, get something signed and all that. So after I do the jockstrap on him, I'm telling him, you're going to have the most coolest thing when I leave this trip that you'll ever have in your sports memorabilia room. He goes, okay. So then later that day, I call him out of the crowd, put the jockstrap on him, lay down. When he stands up, I, I said, take the jockstrap off. He took it off. I took a Sharpie and I signed the cup on the jockstrap <laughs> and, and I hand it to him. And I said, this is yours. I said, this is the first time in 22 years I've retired the jockstrap in the cup to somebody. Wow. And he was, and he takes it in his hand and I wouldn't let go of it. I said, but what I want you to understand is this is not just a cool thing in your room because I signed it. And because I'm the one who hit the ball, I want you to understand that when you hang this jockstrap in that room, you are hanging a jockstrap up that has been worn by uh, Elway, Jordan, uh, Charles Oakley, uh, Harold Varner, Stuart Sink, Brandon, Brandon Ritchie. Brandon Ritchie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I just had to throw that. <laughs> no, my, my list is as long as my arm of the just the celebrities who have won it. I was doing I was doing Mariano Rivera's outing up in uh, at Trump National in New York for the Yankees and Mariano, um, and this was like gosh, 2014. I think it was. And I've got 32 Hall of Famers from the Red Sox and Yankees standing there watching this show and wow. the trick shot show and all that. And then at the end, I get this guy out of the crowd to put the jockstrap on and lay down. And I'm standing there and I'm getting ready to hit the ball. And I'm like, dude, you look familiar. You have to understand this was long before Trump ran for office or anything like that. Right. right? And, and I look over at Mariano and he goes, dude, that's Donald Trump Jr. I'm like, oh, hey, man, oh. tell your dad I said hi. Whack, and I hit the ball, you know, 300 yards down there on the green, and so they're all freaking out and everything. So even Donald Trump Jr. has worn it. And <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. That, that rate, you know, doing the trick shots and being a charity outing, since that's where you met me at, it's important for people to know that this isn't just all fun, but in 22 years, doing that has raised millions of dollars for charity absolutely no yeah yeah for the record everyone for, you know rocky has he's he's done this for for quite some time and he has he's funded some raised some major funding for a lot of charities and uh it's uh it's a big it's an awesome it's a worthy cause it's a great cause something he's very good at something he can do and on that note Tell them, tell them how far you actually can hit a golf ball. Because I mean, don't be humble I, I, I about hit, it. I've hit, I've hit one ball unofficially over 500 yards. Um, in competition that it counted, got me through to the next level and everything, I've hit 429, 442, 449. I've hit one in the 460s. Um, in 2017, though, what's more impressive about hitting a golf ball far is in 2017 when I was in Q school for the senior tour, I didn't. I missed one fairway in four days, and that one fairway I missed, I only missed it by two feet. The ball was in first cut, right? Wow. I was averaging 340. Oh my at, goodness, man! At 52 years old. So then you and I, we've had the conversation about me then getting really sick, almost dying. I've made my comeback trail. I'm feeling great now. And just this past May at U.S. Senior Open qualifying on number 10 at Hawks Ridge, I hit my drive 388. And, Perfect. Uh, yeah. Perfect. So I'm in, I'm in the ball well. I'm probably averaging right now when I play golf because when I play golf, I'm not trying to absolutely murder it, but I'm, I'm averaging around 320. So I remember, so. I remember for y'all, this, this, I remember when we were at that reunion, we got to one hole. Was it a par five, the par four? No, it was a par four. Um, the way I raise so much money for charities, I sit on par fours and drive the green for everybody. And depending on what your team donates, if I get a hole in one on the par four, uh, you either win master's tickets, a Pebble Beach trip, a trip to Scotland, or both or all three. And so that's how I'm able to raise so much money for charity. And sitting on the par fours, driving the green, um, in my golf outings, I've had 42 hole-in-ones on par fours. Do you remember when we were out there and you, you yep. hit that, far, that par four? Yep. That was that downhill with number, uh, number four at Reunion. Yeah, and it sunk, didn't it? Didn't it sink? Uh, no, I hit, I, I hit like... 
I remember I think I hit like over 10 balls inside of one to two feet of the flagstick, but I had one that hit the flagstick and stopped about two inches from the cup. That's what it was. It I hit think the that's flag- when you were on the hole hanging out with me and uh, what was that lady's name? It was my friend Lauren. Flo- uh, Lauren. It was Lauren, my friend yeah. Lauren, yeah. So that that was uh, that that particular, we thought that it went in and we right. got down there and it, it had hit the flagpole and bounced off. When the ball is that close to the flagstick, which is white, and the cup is white, when you're 300 yards away, you can't see the ball sitting outside it. It looks like it's in it. And we hopped in the carts and went down there, and it was just outside the cup. That was a phenomenal shot. Uh, That's the best shot I've ever seen. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I've never seen it. you were laying on your back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me back up. Yeah, that was the best shot I'd ever seen because it didn't go sideways. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, otherwise, but yeah, that was phenomenal. Well, look, uh, tell. Why don't you t- share with the audience a little bit about do you with your flag business or with your with your tournaments? Do you have any projects, anything in the works right now? Is there what are you working on now? That's uh, Right now, what I'm trying to do is now that I'm healthy and I'm not only hitting the ball so well, I'm playing probably some of the best golf I've ever played in my life at 56. Um, I mean, just in the last month, I've shot uh, 264s with two bogeys each. Uh, I shot 67 at a very hard course the other day with four bogeys, and I'm playing really, really well. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to hone it in, and uh, I want to go back and chase the senior tour the rest of this year. I've got a couple of qualifiers left, and um, because I withdrew from Q school uh, due to me, you know, being so sick, all my numbers still count, and I'm eligible to go back to Q school again this year in November. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, uh, the golf side. Um, when I was in Fort Scott, Kansas, I told you about a company there called Fort Scott Ammo. Um, so one thing that's come kind of cool is I've got some really good sponsors on my bag right now and been looking for one or two more. Um, <clears throat> I got to give a shout out to them if you don't mind, but sure, Kenny's sure. great pies is on my bag. Uh, most people laugh at that cause you laugh cause you know, my diet, I, eat, you know, several cans of frosting a week. I eat one key lime <laughs> pie a day. Um, well, Kenny's great pies is a key lime pie company and people think that's kind of funny to be on my golf bag, but the reality is it's an amazing relationship with my buddy, Gary, who owns the company. They produce 16,000 key lime pies a day. They're the largest key lime oh, pie wow. manufacturer. You know you're making good key lime pie when people in Florida import your pies to, to Florida because, you know, it's come on, that's where they're from. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So I, lo- I love that one. I've got Infinite Athlete um, on there, which um, you and I, we've talked about my journey back from the health issues, almost dying from a gut issue, but only to turn out that all of the residual since 2018 has been, you know, the, the hormones and, and everything. And to find out that I was literally on zero on HGH, almost on zero on cortisol. And that's why I almost died. And then to find out that my testosterone, despite what I can do with the golf club and my personality and the shape I'm in was at 37. So I, I credit these people with saving my life and getting me on the right stuff. So now I've got uh, Fort Scott ammo going on my bag. They were at that big event I just did two weeks ago in Fort Scott, Kansas. And uh, Fort Scott ammo, I'll be the first pro golfer to ever have an ammo company on their golf bag. And that's, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> and, uh, and what they're going to do is, you know, I'm, I'm going to be getting a lot of stuff from them plus the check. And I'm looking forward to the check because that's what, you know, uh, through all this with God be able to provide my health and everything to come back. I get to go to Q school. That'll, that'll pay all my bills for Q school, my travel, my entry fees, everything. So I'm really looking forward to that opportunity again this year. And I, I just, I don't know. I just got a certain thing going on in my head right now that, that it's the right time. And I, I got, I'm, I'm ready. Um, because it ain't just what I'm doing physically now, but it's where my mental side is. Um, but anyway, they're them right there. And so if any of your listeners are interested or looking for ammo, this ammo company is never out of ammo and, um, you won't be able to do it this week, but by next week, if you go to their website and you order any ammo and you use the promo code rockstar, cause that's the name of my business, rockstar golf. And I'm rockstar. Um, you put in the promo code rockstar, you're going to get up to 20% off of your order. Oh, that's um, phenomenal. And it's not a one-time thing. It's going to be a long-term thing. Anytime you want to go on there and order something, you can use that promo code. 
So we're looking forward to that relationship. Uh, we're going to get that deal solidified later this afternoon and get that that uh, all wrapped up and moving forward. And so I've got a lot of charity outings this year because I'm healthier. I got a you know the fall is always my busiest time. I got a lot on my plate there. I got the mini tours. I got the uh, qualifiers for the senior tour. I got the senior tour Q school. Uh, the flag business, though, I keep holding on to it um, because one, it's a great what you know the term people use nowadays side hustle i don't look at it as a side hustle i look at it as my next frontier because i'll probably sure. stop doing the charity outings after this year one because of my age to 22 years is long enough to sit there and hit that many 300 yard drives a day and the travel can't do it um so this is my segue into my next phase and um and i got i want to i want to interject too for for those of you because this i know this is audio but i've got rocky here on a video uh, interview here, but just to let y'all know, uh, and I'm gonna let him put his uh, social media and all that stuff up here at the end. But but these flags are amazing. I mean, the he he goes in and uh, hand makes these flags and does the whole like they're all American flags, but they're all different styles too. I should say, and he yeah. does different styles of flags and of the American. But they're all wavy, and they're all yeah. wavy. They have a wavy yeah. feature, and he just does. He he can. Somewhat, I guess he he customizes them to some degree, and uh, they're beautiful, man. I mean, they they are amazing. Uh, I'm sitting here looking at two of them over his shoulder that are phenomenal. One's a traditional flag, the other one's the Betsy Ross. It says "We the People" down the bottom, and uh, he put stuff like that in. I believe Rocky, you had a 9/11 flag too, didn't you? I did. Um, I'm surprised you remember that when I did one this year. I was just sitting here that morning with my coffee. It was a beautiful day, just like 9/11 was. And uh, knowing that I was on duty in the fire department at 9-11, I just was looking at this blank flag and I was like, what are we going to do today? So I made a 9-11 flag and on each of the stripes, I put the times that the first plane hit, the first tower fell, the second plane, the second tower, Mm. uh, put the time that all three, the planes, the the Pentagon out in the field in Pennsylvania, I put all the times of anything that happened that day down there on one stripes. I took the 50 stars and configured the twin towers up there where the stars go. Oh, I used wow. 50. I didn't just do the towers. I used 50 stars to make the towers. And mm. that, that was a pretty cool flag. And um, I ended up uh, giving that to a, uh, a firefighter that I retired with and so forth. Really cool guy. Um, but, yeah, we do we do the wavy flags. If anybody's interested, I'm sure you'll have a way to show them pictures of them later. But I've tried doing the flat flags that people see everywhere and it would be more cost effective for people. But once everybody has seen my wavy flags, nobody will buy a flat flag. So I don't make any flat ones. All my flags are wavy, but once they see the pictures, you'll see, and you've seen it on the picture, hopefully on the Facebook. I even carved the backs out. These things look like they're waving off the wall. So my flags are not a carpentry thing. They're an art. They're art pieces. They then they are a little pricey, but my gosh, look at the times right now. The materials alone are almost two hundred bucks to make one. Yeah. You know, before but I start with a chainsaw. These things are all hand carved on front and back. Uh, I've got some really cool videos recently that showed me making a flag from start to finish on my Instagram page. Then I've got one that shows you see that we the people flag you keep mentioning. There's oh, one yeah. that shows me doing that flag, doing the we the people carving and the stars. It's all by hand. I don't use any CNC lasers, no machines, no computers to make my flags. They are handmade pieces of art. Oh, they're and beautiful. I'm proud of them. I love them, dude. I can see it. I mean that that one even from right here in this video, they're shiny. I can see one. It's got a shine to it. So uh, they're awesome, but. So what we're gonna do, Rocky? I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up here. I've got uh, on a time crunch here, and I wanna, but I wanna give everyone a chance to connect with you. So where can they find Rocky Shipes? What any website, social media? Go ahead and plug that here, and uh, I'll also add it to the podcast once. So we, you know, once we get it to the Substack. So go ahead and tell everyone where they can find you. On Facebook, believe it or not, I haven't done the Facebook page, but just come to my page, my personal page, and you'll find the flags. You'll find other political things, uh, faith-based things, um, but just anything under Rocky Shipes, R-O-C-K-Y-S-H-I-P, as in purple, E-S. Um, Instagram, you can find me under that name, but my official um, Instagram is Blood, Sweat, and Divots. Um, and uh, I like have it. a lot of fun on that page. And I focus more on the flags on the Instagram page and so forth. So uh, go check it out. Uh, I'm sure you'll put them up there where they can see it and they can go find it or have a link to it or something. I can send you that. 
Um, but yeah, that's, that's the two best ways to find me. Uh, we really haven't launched a website because I already have trouble keeping up with the flags and I'm cranking out three to four a week. <laughs> and oh, I, wow. if I did a website, I don't know how I keep up with it. So, uh, for right now, we just keep it to the, you know, word of mouth has been amazing for these things. Cause once somebody sees one hanging up, so I place, they're like, where'd you get that? I got to have one of those the next thing I know I'm making one the next day. So yeah, it's, uh, busy times but the social media is the best way just grab me you can message me call me do whatever you need to do and i'll get you one man that's awesome rocky man i appreciate you taking the time to come on today it's been uh, too long i know we've kept in touch online uh, it's been too long though we've got to get together in person at some point here in the near future but i will tell you guys rocky is uh he's a personality and he's not he's not going to shy away from telling you what he thinks he's not going to shy away from telling you how he feels about something but he's also very level-headed. He's a very a, a, a genuine individual. And I'll tell you, you make sure that you connect with him. Make sure you connect. Check out his flags. Um, any questions you have about charity events, things like that, I'll let Rocky kind of uh, steer you in that direction if you're interested in that part of his business. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here, Rocky. Just hang on the line here. I'm going to close it out. But, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this episode of the official podcast substack of brandon ritchie make sure again that you connect also with rocky and myself at brandonritchie.substack.com make sure you subscribe to it please share this out with everyone you know this is about a map to to make you a zenith during chaotic times the only way that works is if i have your participation if you get behind it share this out tell your family your friends it's available on the Substack, again, at brandonritchie.substack.com. It's also available on Spotify and Apple Podcast. So make sure you share that out. And so today, make sure that you stay strong, stay focused, stay active, and have a great day.